Would you join me in prayer? Lord God, what a privilege it is to gather together this evening uh, to come and worship. Lord, I thank you for that opportunity. I thank you for the opportunity to give. And I pray that you would increase in us the joy of giving. Lord, may we not see it as only, only a duty, but a privilege to participate in that way. Lord, now we come thirsty for your word. I pray that uh, we would accept that well, that we would be thirsty and and uh, we would see your word powerfully change hearts and lives this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. In 1865, a gentleman by the name of Philip Brooks visited Bethlehem. Maybe you've had the chance to visit the ancient city. A couple of years later, he was giving thought to composing a Christmas carol for Sunday school children, and we had the opportunity to worship and sing that carol that he composed. And this evening, we're focusing especially on that memorable line, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in a person, born in that little place. Imagine, if you will, all of the fears of all of the years on the one hand. Can you imagine the weightiness of all the fears your fears and generations gone by, all of the fears of all of the years, weighty. But then there comes the hopes of all the years, your hopes, my hopes, the hopes of generations gone by, the hopes of God's people. Is it weightier? It meets but does it outweigh? Do the hopes outweigh the fears? Uh, recently, I had the pleasure of uh, talking with a friend, and we were talking about my fears, and we were talking about his fears, and uh, we got to talking about the Apostle Paul and Second uh, Corinthians chapter four, where he he tells us a little bit about his experience. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. And it is the skill of skills, how I so want to grow up into this skill of skills, to learn to outweigh the fears with the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. I love how the Bible does not whistle in the dark. It does not give us a Pollyanna sort of answer. It does not ignore the hard things. The Bible understands that you and I have good reasons to be afraid. There's a lot about life that is iffy and uncertain. But the Bible teaches us that we have better reasons to have peace because the hope that we have in Christ outweighs the hard. It outweighs the fears. And we think about that as we approach this Christmas. And with that in mind, I thought I would reach back to perhaps a, a prophet that you haven't read in some time. 
the prophet Micah, chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. Let me read the text for us. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she, who is in labor, has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. When the Assyrian comes into our land and treads in our palaces, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. And they shall shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword and the land of Nimrod at its entrances. And he shall deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes into our land and treads within our border. This is God's word. Let me pray for us. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would open the eyes of our hearts in order that we might see Jesus. the fulfillment of your great promises through Micah the prophet. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a, a word of, uh, of context, a little bit of orientation. I have found that wise and loving ministry often starts by asking a couple of basic and yet pretty profound questions. The first question is, what are you facing? The second question is, how are you living in response to what you are facing? It's a question that's always on the table whenever we open up God's Word, whenever we have a conversation with one another. Consider God's people then. What are they facing? The leaders have broken covenant with God. The people have drifted away from God. And so God is sending the Assyrian armies to discipline both his leaders and his people alike. And first, they invade Israel in the north, and in 722, they, they conquer the capital of Samaria. And now they have invaded Judah in the south, and in 701, they approach the capital city of Jerusalem. And Micah speaks to a faithful remnant inside the walls of Jerusalem and sums up their situation. What are you facing? In two words. First of all, siege is laid against us. In the ancient Near East, it was siege warfare. The enemy would encamp around the city and they would batter the walls of the city until it came down. Siege is laid against us. That's what we're facing. And secondly, with a rod they strike the judge of Israel. Not only are we surrounded, but we're humiliated. Our once 
respected king Hezekiah has become a laughingstock and a whipping boy because he transferred his trust from God to man. He and we are vulnerable and defenseless. That's what they're facing. How are they living in response to what they're facing? Well, they're cut from the same fallen condition that I am and that you are. They're understandably fearful. They are reeling and rocking. They are tempted to give up and to give in. And they have good reasons to be fearful. They are afflicted in every way. They're perplexed. They're persecuted. They're struck down. But passages of Scripture serve not only to give us a portal into the past, but also to hold up the mirror to speak the truth in love to me and to you and to pose the question, what about you? What about God's people tonight? What are you facing? The Assyrian armies are big and bad, but let's not get so fixated on the enemy then because the enemy then serves as a signpost to the warfare that you and I face here and now. Consider the evils that are pressing against you. Unstoppable sickness. Sudden loss. Injustice in the home. Injustice in the community. All around us swirling hardships and battering up against us. Siege from situational sufferings. But consider the evils not only outside of you coming at you, but also the evils living inside of you. Yes, sin's power has been broken, but remnant sin is still living and active, and it desires to master you. The lust for approval. The craving for revenge. The unruly passion for illicit pleasure. Can we get a little closer to home? It's Christmas. We're going to have a lot of time on our hands. We're going to be closer together, right? It's worth asking the question, what is an argument? There might be a few of those. Sadly, during the season, what is an argument? One of my professors put it this way. This is what an argument is. An argument is when I confess your sins to you and you confess my sins to me. But neither one of us are owning up and confessing our own sins. It's this tug of war. And why is that? What am I in the grip of? What are you in the grip of? What is the siege warfare that is moving around the castle of your soul and wants to take control? The Apostle James raises a very important question in James chapter 3, rhetorically, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this? 
that your passions are at war within you. Siege warfare. Seeking to master you. Your heart and my heart created to be ruled by this true and living God finds a competitor that seeks to master us. And you can see the root in the fruit that it produces. These unruly desires, deceitful desires that want their own way, that want to be proven right and you wrong. It just entangles us, does it not? This is how God's Word comes out of the past and into our very present. Real life. And so Micah speaks to me, speaks to you, and sums up our situation in two words. Siege has laid against us. And with a rod the enemy strikes and renders weak even the strongest of our human strength. And we are humiliated. Well, that's what we're facing. How are we living in response to what we're facing? We're afraid. We're rocked and reeling and we're tempted to give up and give in. I suspect that if you were to have entry into an honest conversation with a dear brother and sister in Christ, you would would find hearts like mine, maybe like yours, a person who is just this close from just giving up and giving in. Because the warfare is real. And it pushes us to our limits. And we have good reason to be afraid because we're afflicted in every way and we're perplexed and we're persecuted and we're struck down. But Micah will not let you go. He looks you in the eye and as God's instrument, He speaks to you God's truth with God's love. He's moving toward you. He's talking to you. He's counseling you. He's seeking to win your heart. Now muster your troops, the text says. Take courage and choose to fight against the insurmountable odds. But how? I've got good reasons to be afraid. Yes, you do. But, he says, you've got better reasons to know the peace of Jesus Christ. The hope that you have in Him outweighs all of the fear. So, consider this. Two words of hope. First of all, a ruler comes to you from, kids, a little bitty town, right? And then secondly, a ruler comes to you with a great big gift. Consider this first word of hope. Verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. Your ruler comes to you tonight from a little bitty town. And he comes to fulfill God's promise. You know the story. Bethlehem was the home of Jesse. And the birthplace 
of his youngest son, David. And Bethlehem was the town from which God sought and found a king to shepherd his people. And to David, God promised an eternal kingdom. Second Samuel chapter 7, when your days are over, David, and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. But as we continue to read God's story of redemption, the sons of David failed miserably, didn't they? But God's focus on Bethlehem here signals a new start. A new start. I'm not going to break my promise. Yes, I'm going to lay the axe of judgment to the dead tree of David's faithless line, but I'm going to bring forth from Bethlehem a new and faithful David, a shoot. Will come up from the stump of Jesse, as we read earlier. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will be upon him the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. So, this coming ruler is not an afterthought. This is not God's plan B. His coming from the loins of Jesse to the town of Bethlehem was God's plan from the very start. And what's so amazing about this passage is that God is reasserting the certainty of His promises not when Israel is at the top of their power, but when Israel is sinking into obscurity. That all will encourage you tonight. Because some of you have a suspicion that you've gone too low. That God can't reach you that it's too bad. And this passage wants to breathe hope into you. His mercy is greater still, right? Nothing can nullify the promise of God to you in Christ. Not your miserable failings, not sin's horrible consequences, not life's terrible circumstances. Oh, I, I, I get the existential experience. How many times in my life, long ago and even recently, it doesn't feel like God is near. It doesn't feel like God is working. But when my feelings are saying one thing and God's Word is saying another, who gets final say? I live by faith in the promises that God makes to me in Christ. So this ruler, he comes to fulfill God's promise. And secondly, this ruler comes to display God's power from you. Little bitty town of Bethlehem. The word means house of bread. Ephrathah. The word means place of fruitfulness. But how? It's a little bitty town. 
so small it's not even worth listing among the clans of Judah. There's not even a stoplight in the town. This is a little bitty town. And yet God chooses her. He chooses to exalt lowly Bethlehem. And He chooses to exalt her lowly ruler. And why does God do that? To keep me and to keep you from boasting in human power. We might think, you know, if He chose the big city, we might be able to say, well, of course He did. Look what a great city we built. He chooses the little town so that we might not boast in our power, but we might boast and make much of His power. God likes to do this, doesn't He? Remember what Paul says to you and me? Chapter 1, 1 Corinthians. Brothers and sisters, Think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before Him. Your ruler comes from a little bitty town to fulfill God's promise and to display God's power. But secondly, Micah speaks this word of hope. Your ruler comes to you with a great big gift. In verses 3 through 6, there's a lot here, and uh, only time to highlight a few things. There's this interplay between the work that God achieves and the gifts that you and I receive. The work that God achieves. Did you notice verse 4 and 5? These phrases say it all. He, this ruler, shall stand and shepherd his flock. And he shall be their peace. He shall be the source of their peace. And notice that his standing and his ruling are qualified by the phrases, in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord. In other words, this ruler will be vitally dependent. This ruler will live by faith. This ruler will believe God's Word this ruler will receive the help of the Holy Spirit as he believes the promises God makes. This servant will open his heart to the Lord in faith and the Lord will fill this servant's heart with power. Power that will tower in majesty. Now in the Bible, to shepherd the flock is a multifaceted sort of work. It involves knowing the sheep, leading the sheep, feeding the sheep. But in this passage, to shepherd the flock is to guard the sheep, to protect the sheep. Kids, we need someone who will slay the giants that prey 
upon the sheep. What did, what did David say to Goliath? You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And what did David do to Goliath? As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him, reaching into his bag and taking out a stone. He slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. And the stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. That's what it means to shepherd the flock. And that is what the greater David, our Lord Jesus Christ, comes to say and do. He's the great shepherd who slays the giants that prey upon you. Recently I was talking with someone who It was, it was just hard to move forward because the giant was a giant named guilt. And it was just hard to get traction in walking with the Lord and serving the Lord. Well, we know what happened on Friday. Jesus took upon Himself our guilt. And we know what happened on Sunday. God affirmed the righteousness of Jesus and gave it to us. He slays the giant of sin's guilt. Perhaps tonight you struggle to hold your head high because the power of sin preys upon you and it you know that it seeks to enslave you and you need a shepherd who will slay the giant of sin's power. Who can that be? Our Lord Jesus Christ on Sunday broke the chain and says, here's the freedom, walk in it. Walk in newness of life with me. If the Spirit of Him who raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal body through His Spirit who dwells in you. Tonight, He's shepherding His sheep by giving us His Spirit to slay the giants. The sting of death is... The sting of sin is death. And it once and for all seeks to disgrace you. And yet Jesus comes near to slay the giant. On Friday, his body is placed in the tomb in weakness and in dishonor. But on Sunday, it's raised gloriously. Indestructible life. And he gives you a share in it. He slays the giant. And you begin to see that through His death and resurrection, our Lord Jesus Christ, even now is fulfilling this great promise, this work that He achieves. But as I mentioned, there's this interplay between the work that this ruler achieves and the gifts that we receive. Let me highlight a couple of them. First of all, first gift, 
What grace do God's people receive? Did you notice verse 3? When they return to the land. That was Israel then. A picture, a signpost of God's people, the church, coming into Christ, inheriting all that the Father has for us in the Son. Well, the text says, the gift that we shall receive is that we, verse 4, shall dwell secure. Since Jesus has given you His very righteousness, you are safe. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Later in Micah's prophecy, he exalts, Who is a God like you? who pardons sin and forgives the transgressions of the remnant of His inheritance. You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl our iniquities into the depths of the sea. You're safe in the righteousness of Christ. That's where you stand. And He's given you a share of His freedom from the power of sin. The Apostle Paul tells us in chapter 6 of Romans, verse 14, sin shall not have dominion over you because you are united to the risen Christ. And because you are united to the risen Christ, you are safe. You share in His glory and indestructible life. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Paul writes. That's the first gift you receive in Christ. You will dwell secure. Here's the second gift. What grace do God's people receive when our foes attack? Did you notice verse 5 and 6? Then we shall raise up against him seven shepherds, and they shall shepherd the land of Assyria. Now, what does that mean? Well, did you notice the contrast? At the start of Micah's prophecy, he spoke of the Assyrians' attack against us, verse 1. But at the end of Micah's prophecy, he speaks of our attack against the foe. The tables have been turned. Verse 5. When the coming ruler stands and shepherds his flock, he completely turns things around. And remember, the Assyrian armies function as a signpost of the present and future enemies that you and I face. The things that are coming at us. The remnant sin living in us. But when the coming ruler stands and shepherds his flock, they will not only enjoy God's kingdom security, we will also raise up leaders who extend God's territory. They will, not only, they, will, they will not huddle up and retreat from the enemy. They will line up and push back the enemy. That's the second gift on display. When the ruler comes and enables his church. And this is happening in our midst. This promised victory is finding fulfillment in the church. The risen Lord Jesus is standing and shepherding His flock by equipping us to advance the Gospel by the power of the Holy Spirit. You shall receive power, Jesus said. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. 
when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And you read through the book of Acts, and you see it happening right before your eyes. When the leaders of Jerusalem ordered the apostles to stop proclaiming Jesus, the apostles preached Christ and won many by the Spirit. When the Apostle Paul began taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, when he was stoned at Lystra, do you remember that? He got back up and he preached Christ and he won many by the power of the Spirit. When members of the church suffered great loss, members of the church rallied to meet the need and it was a witness to the watching world and the gospel advanced. Now what about a little closer to home? When your, when your lust for a reputation, when you crave to be exalted as right and the other person as wrong, when an unruly passion fights and overtakes when these, any one of these deceitful desires marches and lays siege and seeks to overtake you, then what will you do? Here's what you will do. You will rise up and you will advance by the power of the Holy Spirit. You will work out your salvation with fear and trembling because you know that it is God who is at work in you. And you will put to death the deeds of the flesh and His Spirit will raise to life a new obedience. And you will talk to your spouse in a much different way. And you will go to work for a much different reason. He turns everything upside down and inside out. When you are mocked for being a Christian, then what will you do? You will rise up and advance. This is the promise of the text. You will speak of your hope with gentleness and respect. And can you imagine whom Jesus might convert if our way was winsome and wise and tailored and personal and we actually were not seeking to win an argument but we were trying to love the person with gentleness and respect. When any one of these evils invades your borders and seeks to take you hostage, then what will you do? You will rise up in advance you will push back the darkness by doing a constructive deed and by speaking a constructive word. Try this for Christmas. Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know what I did this morning? I blew it. Maybe you have too. So you come to Him 
and you need his forgiveness and you ask for it humbly and you receive the forgiveness that he gives and you receive fresh help and you go at it again. Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up. How much peace would that bring this Christmas to our homes? The church is a spiritual army that wields the words and the deeds of Jesus. And this text ends on this wonderful note. The gates of hell cannot prevail against her. And how can this be? Behold the one who stands and shepherds us. He shall be their peace. Did you notice verse 6? He shall deliver us. Let me lead us in prayer. You are a skillful and loving surgeon, our Lord and our God. Your word is a scalpel, and you always cut, never indiscriminately, but always cutting in order to heal. We confess that we lose heart. And with Paul, we want to say we do not lose heart. We want to learn the skill of skills of outweighing our fears with the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Would you help us? We are grieved by our falling down and falling short, by our drift, our wayward hearts. But we take hope and heart that you will help us. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bent over beneath their burdens. That's who you are. And we give you praise. O come, O come, Emmanuel, we pray. Through Jesus, amen. Let's stand and